see, I want to ask you a question here today. Where does your confidence come from that you can actually pursue holiness and grow to maturity in Christ? Well, I have right here one of our Wii remotes from home. Who here has a Wii at home? All right. That's a little bit strange saying that in church, isn't it? Who has a Wii at home? But the Wii remotes, you know, our kids love playing Wii. And the problem with with the Wii remotes is is that they take batteries. And so inevitably they run out. And so, you know, after about a month or so of playing, you know, one of the Wiis will run out and, and then it's like good for nothing. And so then we only have like three remotes that work, which is okay because it teaches our kids how to share with each other, which is a good thing. And then about another week goes by and then another remote gives way and now we only have like two remotes left. And once again, that that causes our kids, you know, a bit of grief, but it's good for them to learn how to share. And then finally, we get down to one remote and, you know, we think, man, it's not worth the conflict, it's, it's time to get the batteries now, you know, because there's a lot of conflict, because there's only one remote. But, uh, you know, the thing I've noticed about Wii's when they run out of batteries is they're really not good for anything. They're really just good for nothing once they've run out of batteries. Although we have found one thing that they are useful for, our, our four-year-old Bella, we usually give her the one that's run out of batteries, so she just sits there thinking that she's playing the whole time, but she really isn't, you know. <laughs> I don't know if you do those sneaky sort of things with your kids. But I wonder if, uh, I wonder if this morning you feel a little bit like a Wii remote that's one out of batteries. I wonder if you're feeling very flat in your spiritual life. You see, I want to ask you a question here today. Where does your confidence come from that you can actually pursue holiness and grow to maturity in Christ? Now, some of you here today, you might be really confident because you're a very self-disciplined person. You've got where you are today because of your self-discipline. You are the weight that you are, or maybe you're in the career that you're in because of your self-discipline. Others of you, you you might be really confident that that you're going to pursue holiness and grow to maturity because of your pedigree. You came from a great Christian family and you see your parents and they're very mature Christians and you think, man, I'm just going to turn out exactly like them. But the truth is there may be some of you here today and you're not confident at all that that you can pursue holiness and that you can grow to maturity. In fact, if the truth be told, when we were talking about holiness last week, you felt very, very guilty. Because there are dark things in your life, and they've been there for a long time, and you have no track record whatsoever when it comes to the pursuit of holiness. So where does this confidence come from? That we can actually pursue holiness and grow to maturity. Well, we're going to look at one verse this morning. So if you have your Bibles... Open them up to Galatians 2, verse 20. One of my favorite verses in the New Testament. If you don't have a Bible right in front of you in the pew, there are Bibles. Just take it out, open it up, and follow along. Galatians is a book in the New Testament. You just start in the middle of the Bible, start turning left. Eventually, you get to the book of Galatians. 
And Galatians was written by the Apostle Paul to a group of Christians who are being assaulted by false teachers. And these false teachers basically said, we like Jesus and we, wanna, we want him as saviour, but when it comes to the way you actually live the Christian life, you need to follow the law. And Paul actually writes this letter to speak about the purity of the gospel. And there are these like two crescendos in the book of Galatians. The second one is in Galatians 5.16, but the first one is right here in Galatians 2.20, where Paul gives us an insight into how he views the Christian life. And what he does is he gives us two redemptive truths and the redemptive pathway that we need to walk if we're going to pursue holiness and grow to maturity. So let's have a look at the first redemptive truth that Paul gives us here in Galatians 2 verse 20. Look down in your Bibles at the verse. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. So Paul's speaking about the crucifixion. He's speaking about the gospel. You know, I found that many Christians, when it comes to the gospel, they just sort of think the gospel is like a doorway into heaven. That you just like ask Jesus into your heart and you get your ticket to heaven. Uh, last week, I was watching this documentary. Tig and I, you know, I think we must be getting old because we're now enjoying documentaries. And uh, I was watching this documentary on ABC iView, Louis Thoreau, his weird weekends. And he was in Dallas, Texas, and he was speaking to some evangelicals. And there was this evangelical, and he was saying to Louis, Louis, just invite Jesus into your heart. All you need to do is just invite him into your heart, and then you'll have your ticket to heaven. And Louis was like, you know, I don't think it'll work for me because I don't really believe the words. And the guy was just saying, no, just try it, Louis. Just try it. Just, just ask Jesus. Just say the words, and, and then you'll get your ticket to heaven. You know, and that's the way we often think about the gospel, that the gospel is just the doorway to heaven. But look down at the verse again. Look carefully. I have been crucified with Christ. Paul here is, of course, talking about the crucifixion of Jesus, but he's mainly talking about the crucifixion of Christians. Of Christians. Now, what does Paul mean when he says, I have been crucified with Christ? Well, obviously, he doesn't mean literal crucifixion. I mean, Paul obviously doesn't mean that on AD 33, on Golgotha, that he was literally there crucified beside Jesus, physically. That's not what he's talking about. I mean, the book of Galatians was written after the crucifixion of Jesus. Now, Paul is talking of something spiritual. See, if you have trusted in Jesus, then something has been crucified in you. Since something really significant has happened within you. Look at the verse again. I. It's the I in you that's been crucified. What is that? That's the old self. The old self that loved sin and served self and was bound in sin has been crucified. Paul would put it this way in Romans 6 verse 6. For we know... We as Christians should know this. We know that our old self has been crucified. It's been put to death so that the body might no longer be used for sin so that we might no longer be slaves to sin. 
You see, why can we be confident? Or where does our confidence come from that we can actually pursue holiness and grow to maturity in Christ? Well, it comes from our first redemptive truth that I have died with Christ. My old self is dead. I'm a brand new person with brand new potential. Now, there was this family, and they were once uh, vacationing in Galveston, but they were, they, were, they were vacationing there in Galveston, and this little like dog-like creature washed up on the beach. And so the kids were really excited, and they said to their mother and their father, they said, can we keep him? Can we keep him? And so the mum and dad gave in, and they took what they thought was a little dog back home with them, and they washed it, and they groomed it, and they made it, made it look really nice. Anyway, a few weeks later, they woke up, and guess what? Their cat was dead. And it was pretty obvious who the culprit was. And then, over the next couple of weeks, a number of other funny things started happening. And it was obvious that it was this funny little dog. So the parents took it to the vet, and do you know what they found out? It was an African rat. You see... You can wash up the outside of a rat, but a rat is a rat is a rat. (laughs) And here's the thing. Your biggest problem and my biggest problem when it comes to holiness, I hate to tell you this, it's you. It was your sinful, wicked self. Jesus said that all the issues of life flow out of your heart. But I've got a great, great news for you. That when you came to Christ, your old self was crucified so that you are now a brand new person with brand new potential. Isn't that fantastic news? You see, and I know it's hard to believe. Isn't that hard to believe some days? That my old self is dead? Man, I, I find that hard to believe, you know, I don't find it hard to believe necessarily this week because Tegan and I have just had a fantastic week. We, I've had one of the best weeks of my life. You know, one of those weeks where everything seems to go well. Family's going well. We went out for a date on Friday night. We never go out on dates. We went to beyond India. We were walking around North Adelaide and we were like, people would not know that we are like married with five children, would they? Until they saw the car that we were driving. <laughs> then they would know. So it's been my best week. It's been a a fantastic week. But I have weeks that are bad weeks where I struggle with sin, and I know you do too. But still the truth of the gospel is is that my old self has been crucified and I've been given a new heart with new potential to serve God. Now, I'm not fully redeemed yet. I'm not fully glorified and neither are any of you. So even while I have the new heart, the old flesh is still there and it's still a battle and it still will be a struggle. And there will be times where you are defeated. But here's the thing. God has made provision for that as well. And that leads me to the second redemptive truth that's found here in Galatians 2.20. Look down in your Bibles again. I have been crucified with Christ. First redemptive truth, I have died with Christ. But Paul moves on. And he says, It is no longer, no longer I who live, 
but Christ who lives in me. Here's the second redemptive truth found in Galatians 2.20. Christ indwells me. The first redemptive truth, I have died with Christ. The second redemptive truth, Christ now indwells my life. He lives in me. Now, on the night before Jesus was going to be crucified, he said to his disciples, I'm going to go away. And they were very fearful and they were very afraid. And Jesus said, do not let your hearts be troubled. And he comforted them and he said, it's actually better for you if I go away because I'm not going to leave you as orphans, but I will send another comforter who has been with you and he will be in you, the spirit of truth. And then Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father after the crucifixion. And on the day of Pentecost, he sent forth the Holy Spirit. So that if you have believed in Christ, you are now indwelt with the Holy Spirit. The very presence of God dwells in you. Now, have you ever wondered, why do we call the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit? Why is that the most common name for the Holy Spirit? Why don't we call him the Revealing Spirit? Or maybe some of you think it would be better to call him the empowering spirits. Or maybe we should call him the revealing spirits. Now, the reason why he's called the Holy Spirit is because the Holy Spirit, primarily his ministry is to make you and I holy. You see, you will become holy in your Christian life and it'll be because of the ministry of the Spirit changing you into the image of Christ. Now, Pastor Brian and I, a few weeks ago, we uh, went down to visit the Sun team. We had a great time down there with them. And on our journey down to Victor Harbour and on our journey back, we had a number of great conversations. And Brian, Pastor Brian asked me a question, or made a statement, rather, that, that, that I, you know, he, he makes statements that are really challenging. And he, he said to me, he said, you know, most Christians, I don't think, know exactly what the Holy Spirit actually does for us as believers, We talk about the filling of the Spirit. We talk about the ministry of the Spirit. But most believers don't even know what he does. So I'm going to give you four things that the Holy Spirit does here this morning. You may want to write these down. Four things. Here's the first thing. He strengthens us. Turn over in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. Paul says this, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being. The first ministry of the Holy Spirit is that he strengthens believers. He gives you new affections for righteousness and holiness. If you desire Christ, if you desire to worship, the very reason that you could confess that Jesus is Lord is because of the Holy Spirit and his ministry in your life. The second ministry of the Holy Spirit is that he convicts us of sin. Turn back in your Bible over to John chapter 16 and verse 7. This is Jesus speaking. And he says this, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world regarding sin and righteousness and judgment. The second thing that the Holy Spirit does is he convicts us of sin. He shines the light of God onto our hearts so he can see our sin. So we can confess 
and repent. Have you ever, have you ever sat with someone while they're feeling the full weight of the conviction of the Holy Spirit? Have you ever had that happen to yourself? Where you've come face to face, as Brian's talked about today, with the holiness of God. And you've been broken. As you've seen the ugliness and dirt that's in your life. I tell you, it's an amazing thing to see it, not only in your heart, but to see it when you're ministering to other people. The full weight of conviction rests upon them. We can't do that for ourselves. We can't muster up conviction. I can't muster up conviction. I can't muster up brokenness in you. It's the ministry of the Spirit to convict us in regard to sin and God's righteousness and his ongoing judgment. Man, I have sat with non-Christians and I've explained the gospel over and over and over again and they get the facts. Once at Subi, I sat with this guy and I explained to him the gospel and he got the facts of what the gospel was. But when I asked him, do you want to receive Christ? Do you want to repent and believe? He's like, not really. I want to have fun. It's the spirit who brings conviction of sin. The third ministry of the spirit is right there in John 16 as well, is he teaches us. Look in verse 13. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Third ministry of the spirit is that the spirit teaches us. He illumines our minds to the Word of God, opens our hearts to understand the implications of God's Word to us. Now, you can read a passage a thousand times, and then you can read it another time, and you could see something in that passage that you've never seen before because of the ministry of the Spirit opening your heart and your mind to the truth and how that, how that truth bears for your life right in that moment. If you're learning anything here today, it's because the Spirit is working. He's illuminating your heart. He's gripping you with the Word of God. The fourth ministry of the Spirit is an amazing ministry of the Spirit, is that He reveals Christ to us. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18. Paul says, and we all with unveiled faces beholding the glory of the Lord, that's the glory of Jesus, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So the fourth ministry of the Spirit, I love what he's saying there, we with all unveiled faces, he's talking here about he's using like a metaphor from the old covenant. You remember in the Old Testament where Moses went up on the mountain and he beheld the glory of the Lord and his face shone so that when he came down, he wore a veil. But it says here, 
that we all with unveiled faces, we behold the glory of God. And as we, as we see Jesus, we are changed and transformed into his likeness. And I think that's because as you see Jesus, I hope that as you took the bread and as you took the wine this morning, that it was more than just a ritual for you. I hope that as you saw that, as you took that symbol, that the glory of Jesus was revealed to you, that the greatness of Jesus' sacrifice was revealed to you. And I'm afraid for you and I'm afraid for me that so many of us, we just went through a ritual that meant nothing to us. Rather than seeing the glory and greatness of Jesus revealed in the communion service. And you see, when we see the glory and greatness of Jesus, beholding is becoming. We will want to become like him. We want to serve him and love him because he's the greatest treasure. Man, I hope you know that. That the greatest treasure that you have on earth is not sitting in the car parking lot, but is actually your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's the greatest treasure that you'll ever find. That's why Jesus said, man, it's worth selling all. If a man finds a treasure in a field, will he not sell all he has to purchase that field so he can get the treasure that's in the field? Would you not give up everything for the sake of Jesus? Some of you can't, I mean, you can't even give up five minutes for the sake of Jesus. You can't even give up just a little thing because maybe... Maybe the glory and weight and treasure of Jesus is not being revealed to you. And that is the ministry of the Spirit. And I pray that his ministry would fall on this place every single week as we gather in corporate worship so that he will strengthen us. He will convict us of sin. He will teach us God's word. He will reveal the greatness and glory of Jesus to us so we want to be like him and we'll treasure him and adore him and fall on our face before him. Now here's the question. Is what, what instrument does the Holy Spirit use in order to strengthen us, convict us, teach us and reveal Christ to us? What is the instrument that he uses? I'll tell you what the instrument he uses is. He uses the thing that he inspired. His word. His word. As you open up the word of God every day and feast from it, you will be strengthened, you'll be convicted, you'll be taught, you'll, Christ will be revealed through the word of God. You know one of the greatest things about, about working at Oakton Baptist Church in the office? You know one of the greatest things? Is that often I'll be there at work in my office and all of a sudden there'll be this head that pops up. And do you know who it is? It's Pastor Paul. And he's got a Bible there. And he's like, oh, you've got to read this. You've got to see this. And he'll open it up to you and he'll go, this is astounding. Have a look at this. And you'll open it up and you'll read it and you go, man, that is astounding, isn't it, to you? That is really exciting. But the reason he has those moments is because he's in God's word. He's soaking it in. And God is strengthening him and convicting him and teaching him and revealing Christ to him. 
That's, the, that's why we, we need to be in God's word, not for some legalistic righteousness. We're going to talk about that in a few moments. Not for some legalistic righteousness, but so we can be exposed and relate to God and have communion with God. Don't you want to have that? Who wants to go home this afternoon and read your Bible for an hour? So that you can be strengthened and convicted in places and taught and have the greatness of Christ revealed to you. See, it's about communion with Christ, the indwelling Christ, the presence of God within you. Someone once said that Jesus, man, he just didn't come to get you into heaven, but he came to get himself from heaven into your life. So they're two amazing redemptive truths, aren't they? And that should fill you with confidence that you can pursue holiness and actually grow to maturity because firstly, your old self is dead and you have new potential to live for God. And secondly, the indwelling Christ. Just think about that. That's, that's just blowing my mind as I'm preaching here today. Jesus Christ lives in you. The same Jesus that walked 2,000 years ago, healed the sick, raised the dead, taught people, he now lives in you by the person of the Holy Spirit. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. That's, that's a mind-blowing thought, isn't it? So that should be a great encouragement. It doesn't matter about my track record. It doesn't matter about my pedigree. Christ lives in me. Therefore, I can pursue holiness and grow to maturity. Now let's have a look at the redemptive pathway that's found here in Galatians 2 verse 20. The redemptive pathway. All right. So we see I have been crucified with Christ. Redemptive truth number one. I have died with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Redemptive truth number two. I'm indwelt by Christ. But here is the pathway to pursuing holiness and growing to maturity. Look at the end of the verse. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Here's the redemptive pathway that I am depending on Christ. So in this text, we see these three truths. I have died with Christ. I'm indwelt by Christ. I'm depending on Christ. I've died with Christ. I'm indwelt by Christ. I'm depending on Christ. Why don't you turn to the person next to you and say, I have died with Christ. I'm dwelt by Christ. I'm depending on Christ. I say it like you mean it. Because it's true. I've died with Christ. I'm indwelt by Christ. I'm depending on Christ. But, but depending on Christ is such a, a Christian cliche. I mean, we always talk about depending on Jesus. I'm depending on Jesus. You need to depend on Jesus. But what does it actually mean? Well, look in the phrase again. And the life that I now live, my daily life that I live day by day, in the flesh, I live by faith. The word by is a conjunction, meaning the means by which I live is I live by faith. If I was to look at your life, what would I say the means is that you live your life by? What would I think that, that, that you live your life by? 
By depending on Christ or by something else? You see, here's the thing. The problem for all of us in this room is that before we came to Jesus, the only thing we knew how to do was depend upon ourselves. We depended on ourselves for our own security. We depended on ourselves for our own significance. We depended on ourselves for our own sufficiency. That's who we depended on. We depended on ourselves. And just think about our identity. Our whole identity was wrapped up in ourselves. I'm a teacher. I'm a, I'm a truck driver. I'm a laborer. You know, I'm, I'm good looking. I'm moderately good looking. A little bit better than average, whatever it might be. You see, you were depending on yourself for your significance, for your security, for your sufficiency in life. And you see, the problem is, is that when we come to Christ, we take that attitude into the Christian life so that we're still depending on ourselves for our security with God. We're still depending on ourselves for our uh, sense of significance with God. We're still depending on ourselves for our sufficiency with God. Let me just read you a little story that I think is the story of every Christian. It comes out of How People Change by David Tripp. And I actually think that this, this right here is actually a fake story, but it could actually be the story of us all. Just listen to this. Consider Andy, who became a Christian five years ago. For the first three years, Andy woke up every morning to pray and read his Bible for an hour. He faithfully sought out fellowship with Christians and shared his new faith regularly. But for the past two years, Andy has struggled with guilt. He's grown distant from his Christian friends and lost his incentive to talk to others about Christ. In addition, Andy has begun to struggle with overeating. Occasionally, he will visit internet shopping sites and buy needless items online. He says it picks him up when he's down. In other words, Andy has slipped back into habits that dominated him before he became a Christian. Maybe that's your story. Is when you first became a Christian, you're really on fire for God. But now as you look at your life, you see that your life is actually dominated by the habits that you had before you became a Christian. Now, get this. This is what Andy's friends say to Andy. Andy's friends say that his problem started about the same time he missed his first quiet time. Therefore, Andy redoubled his efforts to read the Bible and pray. But it just doesn't seem the same. The Bible seems dull and his mind wanders when he prays. What has gone wrong? Most would conclude, and most of you, if you were to talk to Andy, you would probably say that he has grown lazy and that he's not using the things that God has provided for him to grow. Bible study, prayer, fellowship, ministry, and service. And it is true that these are factors that have contributed to Andy's slow downward spiral. But listen to what Paul Tripp says. But Andy's problem is much deeper than that. In fact, his problems started long before he missed his first quiet time. What happened is that Andy lost sight of his need for the cross of Christ almost as soon as he became a Christian. And he started to think, I need to depend upon myself and my obedience for my security with God. I need to depend upon myself for my significance with God. If I'm doing really well and having all those quiet times, then surely God loves me. 
started to depend upon himself for his sufficiency. You know, it's about me working out my Christian life, working. Listen to how Tripp concludes. The sad truth is that Andy is typical of many believers who begin the Christian life with a clear understanding of their need for Christ, but quickly lose sight of how central Christ must be throughout it. You see, you don't need Christ just when you came to him and became a believer. You need him every day, every day of your life. There will be not one day where you don't, as a believer, need your security grounded in Jesus. I've had a good week this week. I've had all my quiet times this week, you know. I have. But that does not make me accepted to God. There's only one thing that makes me acceptable to God, and that is the blood of Jesus Christ. My significance in God isn't found in my, in my position as senior pastor of the church. My significance, look in Galatians 2.20, the way that Paul ends it. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who what? Can you, can you end the verse? Who loved me and gave himself for me. My significance is found in the love that I have from Christ. That's why I'm significant. And my sufficiency is found in him as well, that he will provide everything that I need for life and godliness. So as Colossians 2 verse 6 says, just as you received Christ as Lord, so now walk in him. You received him by repenting and believing in him. Now you walk in the same way. Every day you get up and repent of your sin that he reveals to you and you trust in him and turn to him. So there might be people here today and your battery is as flat as this Wii remote and you have no confidence that you can pursue holiness and grow to maturity. You have no confidence in yourself. And I say, amen. It's time to stop looking to yourself. God has got you to this point so that you can look up to the cross and you can see the provisions made for you and you can daily trust in Jesus and walk with Jesus so that he'll produce fruit that is truly pleasing to God in your life. Is this speaking to anyone? Do you need, like who, you don't just need Jesus when you come to him. You need him every day. You need the cross every day. I need the cross every single day. On my best days, on my worst days, I need to affirm my security is found with God in Jesus. I'm significant because of Jesus, not because of my works. And Jesus is sufficient for my life. He has provided everything that I need. Well, I just pray for you as we start this journey into holiness, that that will be the road that all of you follow. Because if you take the detour and try to do it by your own works and effort, it's only going to lead to pain and frustration and heartache. 
And there is place for self-discipline and self-denial. And we're going to talk about that. There is a place to write a real-life growth plan and to be intentional. But the starting point is dependence on Jesus.